0: Hi everyone, I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Robert Weix and Dr. Anthony Ampierre, who recently joined us for a webinar to discuss how microscopy, electrophysiology, and optogenetics are used to study microglial calcium signaling and epileptic networks in awake head-fixed mice. Rob Weix is a Senior Lecturer in the Nanomedicine Lab at the University of Manchester and Senior Research Fellow at the UCL Queen Square Institute of Neurology. He is well regarded for his development of novel technology and therapies to investigate and treat seizures, and was among the first to adapt in vivo optogenetic and calcium imaging approaches to epilepsy research. Tony Ampierre is a postdoctoral researcher in the Department of Neurology at the Mayo Clinic where he studies the role of glial cells in shaping neuronal circuits in the basal state during the pathological progression towards epilepsy. Let's jump right in. Could you just clarify how you habituated the mice and how long does habituation
1: take? And so, Tony, maybe I'll direct this one to you first. Sure. Habituation... You know, empirically, I would say there are some differences maybe between male and female animals and their age. Generally, what I do is I begin with uh, 15 minute sessions after the acute window or the window is placed and the head plate is on. I usually do three days in a row of 15 minutes to roughly get the animal habituated. And then as I'm waiting for the window to become chronic, I do this at least once or twice per week thereafter for a 15 minute session. And so by the time that I'm at the chronic window phase, this represents about 10 or so habituation sessions of 15 minutes. And I find generally pretty, pretty good outcomes. It's also important, I find, when you introduce the mouse to the head fixation any day that you at least give them about five minutes to acclimate just to that immediate change.
0: Excellent. Thanks so much for sharing. And Rob, do you have anything to add to that? How does it compare
2: with yours? Your habituation? It's, it's a fa- fa- fairly similar approach, although we increase the duration each time. So for us, when we're actually doing our our experiment, we want to record for about 60 to 90 minutes. So after our head surgery, of course, we allow the animals time to fully recover from that, which can take several days or a week. And then we start with a 15-minute habituation, which we then build up to 30 minutes, to 45 minutes, to 60 minutes. But the important thing is it's not just, you know, if they've had four, they go into the experiment. It's if there's 60 minutes and they seem well adapted to the Equipment and they're habituated to that, which to be perfectly honest, most of them are by the four training sessions, but some animals require five, six, or seven.
0: Perfect. Thanks. Next question, Rob. This one's for you. Mm. Are graphene arrays compatible with calcium imaging?
2: Short answer is yes, but it is a little bit complicated. So they're transparent, and the graphene microtransistors are embedded in substrates, and different substrates have different levels of autofluorescence. But we have arrays now that are in a non-autofluorescent substrate, and actually there's a PhD student in our department who is is doing combined calcium imaging through the graphene transistor arrays using scopic calcium imaging. So yes, it is possible.
0: All right, very interesting. Tony, here's a, a question for you again about calcium imaging, but is the calcium activity in microglia a product of
1: calcium influx or due to intracellular signaling? Yeah, that's a good question. So Having not performed the pharmacology to distinguish that, the literature would suggest that there are both ionotropic receptors that can allow calcium into microglia, as well as store-operated GQ, type G proteins that can also elevate calcium. In the literature at large, in vivo, it appears that at least damage responses to laser burn or neuronal death, those seem to largely be evoked through an intracellular calcium signaling mechanism and ER release of calcium. But likely the context can also alter which types of calcium influx or store operation might occur.
0: Excellent. Next question. So you both clearly got some really beautiful videos in your presentation. So it seems like head fixation is working really well. But are there any uh, limitations to head fixed mice for your research? Uh, And maybe Rob, will direct this one to you first.
2: In epilepsy, clearly what we'd like to be able to do is record spontaneous seizures and there are obviously rodent models, mouse models, where you can have spontaneous seizures. But these tend to occur at quite a low frequency, so that your chances of capturing them inside a head fixation apparatus during a 60 or 90 minute window is quite short. I mean, it is possible, and we are doing these studies, but um you, you can sometimes have experiments where you're not going to have a seizure that day. But the good thing about them is that because these are chronic experiments, you can put the animal in several days, and hopefully be able to pick up one of those chronic seizures. But it's certainly a lot easier to induce seizures with chemo convulsant within a 60 to 90 minute time window.
0: Right, great answer. Rob, anything to add to that? Are there any limitations of head fixed mice in your research?
2: Yeah, and I would add to
1: that, there's always the theory that there can be restraint stress in the animal, but I do feel that's largely alleviated by a a proper habituation protocol. For my research, looking at these really optically thin microglial processes, about one or two microns in diameter, and having to image them with a time series, basically from the same z plane, head fixation is like essential. I don't see any way around it. For to image up to ninety minutes from the, a single z plane from such an optically thin structure does require a pretty stringent way to maintain the z-level and head fixation uh, really helps us do that great answer tony keep you on here for the next question
0: where does the 10 to 15 minute latency come from in microglial
1: calcium activity yeah that's a good question so in the literature generally speaking if you were to increase neuronal activity let's say with high frequency stimulation it's been well known for about 25 years that micro, or astrocytes the other glial cell will have an immediate calcium response the question for microglia compared to astrocytes is, so why does this take 10 to 15 minutes? Our thinking is that this is integrated into the structural responses of microglia. So if you were to do a focal laser burn, microglia do not immediately arrive at the laser burn. They take about an equivalent 10 to 15 minutes to arrive there. Our hypothesis is that this latency represents the calcium is probably important for the later stages of motility or maybe even when the processes contact certain structures such as a lesion or a hyperactive or hypoactive neuron that contact would occur about 10 to 15 minutes after the activity change based off process structural characteristics and that's our, our leading hypothesis about where the
2: latency comes from.
0: Great answer. Next question is for you Rob, where can we get graphene arrays is there a commercial supplier?
2: That may be soon. The Design and initial development characterization is part of a, a large European Commission consortium. It's the Graphene Flagship Project, which has many partners across Europe. And at the moment, let's um, say so we're, we're at the stage where we, we, we're characterising and actually now using these arrays to answer biological questions. And it's really at the moment accessible by members of that consortium. But I'm under the understanding that multi-channel systems now have this technology and will very shortly be launching a commercially available version of this, probably checking with multi-channel systems in a few months' time.
0: Excellent. Thanks. And this question kind of goes back to, Tony, what you were just saying about needing to maintain the Z level. Why did you choose the mobile home cage to do this over similar tools
1: like, you know, VR or maybe airlifted balls or treadmills? Right. Uh, So a lot of it was actually, the home cage system actually existed in the lab before I came there. I had actually never done in vivo recording before. And generally what I find is that the, so I can't really speak empirically to having comparisons with styrofoam balls or other systems, but I do feel that the flat chamber on a airlifted flat table really does provide you with the least amount of z-axis movement. And of course, when you have that z-axis movement, you have chatter in your baseline calcium transients, and that definitely hurts it. So having not a strong experience in all different modalities for imaging uh, platform-wise, uh, this one certainly theoretically has made the most sense and has greatly helped our ability to look at a single z-plane for up to 90 minutes.
0: Excellent. And Rob, uh, anything to add on to that for you?
2: Yeah, I have used both. I started as a using sterifying bones and I've moved to the, the Neurotar system. I think the main advantage for me is the ease of which you can bring electrodes or, or whatever you need in from the side, particularly if you're, say you're, you're calcium imaging from above and you're wanting to put in a fiber optic electrode, two electrodes, an NFP electrode, everything else. It's much easier to be have a stable base. You can put these manipulator clamps around the neurotar frame. In fact, actually, um, we, we can attach um, stereotaxic arms to the neurotar frame, which allows us to inject our drugs at known distances, etc. So it's just a little bit more practical.
0: Perfect. Next question here. How easy is it to integrate this setup with other kinds of measurement like uh, video tracking? Maybe Rob, I'll, I'll give this one to you first.
2: Thanks. Well, the way we do this at the moment is we actually have four or five different, as I say, bits of equipment that are all running at the same time. Well, we're running these through a, um, a CED board to timestamp everything. But I'm aware that Neurotar do have a, a video tracking system, but that's not something that I've upgraded to just yet. But uh, I'll be looking into it.
1: Excellent. And Tony, anything to add to that? Yeah, actually recently did upgrade our Neurotar system to also include the magnetic tracking ability. And we've also uh, added an infrared camera into our two-photon system to also live image mice. We're actually actively in the process of integrating everything, including even a PicoSpritzer board through just a TTL pulse system. And all of it can be simultaneously started through our two-photon imaging software. So we're actively actually being able to integrate both the ability to track, location, video record, and even introduce stimuli all through a single trigger. So yeah, this system actually can be very helpful for integrating a number of modalities.
0: Excellent. Great answer. And I think uh, in the interest of time, we'll make this next question uh, the last one, do either of you have any experience working with rat models? Do you know if these uh, this methodology and whether these technologies are applicable can be used with rats?
2: I personally um, haven't tried head fixation in rats. I'm not aware of people who do. Rat, rats tend to be an awful lot stronger than mice. And I think the head fixation would have to be particularly well secured, particularly for an epilepsy-related question. But for those reasons, I've stuck with mice so far.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers, and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next time.